0: All right. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Nefesh Podcast. This is Episode 22, and I'm so excited uh, that we have a good friend of mine, Heather King, that we've we've known for uh, known each other for a long time. You're going to be sharing your story about your journey through discovering uh, uh, that you have the celiac uh, disease. That's what it's called, right? As far as yeah. a, a disease, um, an autoimmune disease that you and your daughter. Uh, Uh, discovered that that you and she had and the journey that it's been the process of managing it um, and really uh, again sharing the story of what that's been like and you know people such as myself really didn't know about it I feel like I've been educated uh, just by you talking with you and you sharing your story and uh, recently I've gone off uh, gluten, and so I feel so prepared to go off gluten because of all the conversations that I've had with you. Um, but welcome to the to the show, and uh, thanks for being on and being willing to share. And then you also have your own website, uh, and you're essentially trying to help others through this own uh, through this this process. Let me get the website out there, and uh, we'll make sure to share it again at the end. What's the the name of it?
1: It's goglutenfreely.com. And that's also my handle on just about any social media at goglutenfreely.
0: goglutenfreely.com. Awesome. Well, welcome once again. And so take us back um, through the kind of the initial phases, the initial discovery of of celiac and and inform anybody who doesn't know what it is um, and, you know, what that process has been like. Sure. So I'll start
1: with, the definition of celiac disease. You mentioned it's an autoimmune disease and autoimmune means your body is attacking itself. In the case of celiac disease, we actually know more about what causes it or what what the trigger is than most other autoimmune diseases. So when someone with celiac disease ingests gluten, our bodies think that it's an invader and we mount an immune response to that virus or germ or terrible thing gluten in our body and and then our body misfires and instead of attacking the gluten which it sees as harmful it attacks our own intestines and so that's the autoimmune part where your immune system is attacking itself
0: so is this not quite the same thing when we talk about allergies um you know your body when you're having an allergic response to something your body goes into uh, it, it it thinks there's some type of foreign invasion and it hypes up what is it like the histamine or or something it's it's responding to something that that it sees as as an issue so you might start sneezing you might start you know um, itching all over or if you've got you know whatever it might be uh, especially if it's if if any like hay fever type of allergy in this case your body responds by attacking its own self. Is that the kind of the definition of autoimmune?
1: Yes. And I do want to clarify, I'm not a doctor. I am a (laughs) celiac patient, but yes, that is, it's similar to an allergy in that the immune system is misfiring and Recognizing something as harmful that's not actually harmful, but in the case of an autoimmune disease, you're attacking your own like body in some way. And different autoimmune diseases attack different organs. But for celiac disease, it's the the small intestine, the part of the intestine that absorbs a lot of nutrients, so vitamin B, iron, D twelve, and so people with celiac disease can have a whole host of symptoms, not just the traditional gastro, you know, GI symptoms, and you can have neuropathy and brain fog and osteoporosis, fatigue, um, emotional disturbances. I think oh, you've described God. every, everybody saying
0: I've got celiac. Uh, <laughs>
1: well, I will say this, this is my, my PSA. If you have any of those symptoms and you don't have a diagnosis that explains those symptoms, it's worth talking to your doctor and asking to see if they can do a celiac blood test because the numbers vary based on the study, but anywhere between seventy to ninety percent of celiac um, patients are undiagnosed, wow. and so it's it really goes missed because it's all of these unusual symptoms that could be related to a, a number of, of things. Yeah, it's and not only celiac,
0: and it will show up later. For example, in uh, like they'll come in with what uh, colon cancer or uh, other things that may have gotten missed prior to. And so obviously they're only going to focus on the cancer and dealing with that as opposed to what may have led to it, right?
1: Yes. And certainly if you've got something going on where a GI is scoping you, they should be able to identify it when they're scoping you and doing biops- biopsies anyway, even if they haven't done a blood test, um, the biopsy and, and endoscopy is is more thorough. Um, but yes, people present with much more severe symptoms because you could go decades being malnourished. Wow. and. Think of all of the ramifications that that has for other body systems, not the GI system. And so going decades with all those other things going on, you can accumulate other serious, other autoimmune diseases, other serious illnesses. And so getting celiac disease diagnosed and treated um, is really important and the treatment is in some ways very simple and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit as we sure. get into our story um, and in other
0: ways very complicated. Right so for you how did it it present itself it it first started with your daughter right a, mm-hmm. and and some of the issues that she was having.
1: Yeah so her symptoms were initially not very obvious um, but she did have some they're When you, when you have children, you take them to the doctor every, you know, like initially every couple months and then every six months and they watch them on this growth chart and they follow kids who are developing properly, follow this little arc, a perfect little line and they stay, you know, growing properly and pediatricians watch to see if there's a change. Well, my daughter had at her two year appointment, I think two and a half year appointment, jumped down a line. So she wasn't continuing to grow properly, Um, but it wasn't significant enough that it, you know, rang alarm bells. It was just, Oh, we'll watch this. There was a change. And she was complaining about tummy aches a lot, which is not terribly unusual for small children either, but, but she was complaining of regular tummy aches. And so one day she had what I still think was just an intestinal virus. And she was complaining her tummy hurt and she happened to be eating toast at the same time. And so my husband pipes in with, oh, it's probably celiac disease. <laughs> and if toast. you know
0: your husband, like, like, <laughs> somehow he managed to be right on target. because is... Yes, <laughs> he was right on. But I thought this was hilarious because right. the
1: child was three and a half and had been eating, you know, gluten products about yeah. since she started eating any solid food. And right. so. Um, I certainly did not think this piece of toast had thrown <laughs> her over the edge into celiac <laughs> disease. And so i I took her to the doctor. Her regular pediatrician wasn't available. And so I took her to another physician in the practice who happened to be gluten intolerant, so she was very, you know, alert to those things, okay. I mentioned as a joke, Oh, my husband thinks she has celiac disease cause she was eating toast <laughs> and I'm laughing and she's <laughs> like, Hmm, I think I'm going to test her. Wow. And she, you know, she was looking at the big picture. She was looking at the growth curve and she was looking okay. at the stomach complaints and 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 then that comment just kind of triggered in her mind. I'm going to go ahead and test her, but mm. it it wasn't very obvious. Her symptoms weren't classic by you know by any definition. But the but the doctor was astute and aware, and she did a blood test, and it came back positive. And I was shocked, <laughs> but yeah. um, you know because there just there weren't tremendous obvious signs. And so that they followed up the blood test with an endoscopy, which in the United States rarely will a doctor diagnose without the endoscopy. It's still considered the gold standard. And um,
0: that that involves going in and they, they going down into your stomach and, and mm-hmm. what into your intestines as well.
1: Yeah, and, so it's through the, mouth, a through the mouth, biopsy. The yes, yeah. Okay. So they send a camera down, they take samples and they can see that her villi, which are these little finger-like things that grow on the intestine that absorb nutrients, they were flattening. And mm-hmm. so that was why she wasn't growing properly and so
0: why her why is that significant? I know it, feel, it feels like we're going back to high school biology, but why are those those things why why is it that they're flattened? What is that what does that signify? So the
1: flattening is our immune system, celiac immune system, attacking the villi. We destroy oh. them. And so as we destroy them, they can't absorb the
0: nutrients. Okay. That so more
1: than you ever wanted to know about your intestines.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense where, you know, they want to grab the food just like we always yeah. want to eat. Yeah, I get it. Okay. So, and that was the other thing. She was always hungry
1: because she wasn't getting her her needs met. So, uh, I I would say those were her symptoms early on after she was taken off gluten, we had this one little lapse. And again, this is another PSA. If you, um, are being tested for celiac disease and your blood indicates that you have it or you otherwise think that you have it, you should stay on gluten until you see a gastroenterologist. Okay. Because you need to do that endoscopy when you're still on gluten. Okay. So the pediatrician told us to go off. The GI immediately said, go back on gluten. And she developed a violent reaction oh, to where gosh. she just vomits like she has food poisoning anytime she eats gluten. And so that was a difficult few weeks until we could get her in to get scoped.
0: So the um, pediatrician told you go off because <laughs> they she found that she was you went off then you went in to see the gastro and uh, um, gastroenterologist Enterologist, thank you and he he says no you got to stay on it in order for us to be able to see the effects so she's going through this process of violent like like vomiting and and various other things while waiting to then get scoped. Yes wow. so
1: really seeing the GI is a critical step in the yeah. process to to avoid that happening right. Um- and so anyway, we got her scoped and she, I was nervous. My baby was going under anesthesia and she wakes up and they give her Popsicle and she's, you know, in her little Popsicle. And she's like, <laughs> what are we going to do today? <laughs> I'm like, did we did it baby. I'm done. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> she's all good.
1: <laughs> yeah, she was good. It was no biggie. So, and, and being young, it was a good age to be diagnosed. And when I look back at her diagnosis and, and mine that followed, uh, I consider it a miracle because mm. the the average age to be diagnosed for celiac disease, I just saw it today. The National Celiac Association said it's 50. Oh and, my
0: gosh. People so, are not getting diagnosed until they're 50. And so that's a whole lifetime of mm-hmm. issues and problems. And it, and, and it can
1: trigger at any time. So maybe okay. they didn't all have it at two, maybe some sure. of them. Had it at 30, but most celiacs are reporting taking years to get diagnosed, like seeking a diagnosis and trying to figure out what's wrong with them and it taking a long time. So, so the fact that we found out so quickly, um, While she was young, that she didn't have to make a big adjustment. She she doesn't remember eating gluten. Like there are things I walk past, you know, Annie's pretzels and I remember (laughs) eating gluten. (laughs) She doesn't remember. So she doesn't know what she's missing. And and so that's been really good. And then just health wise to know that she's not going to have that long term damage because the really cool thing about celiac disease, if there's anything cool about it, is that. They know what causes it and they know how to treat it. So they don't know what makes the gene trigger in the first place. Why, you know, 60% of us have the celiac gene. They don't know why it triggered in me and maybe you have it, not in you, but, um, but they know that it's the gluten that causes it. Okay. And so, you know, once you, once it's triggered, it's the gluten that causes the autoimmune reaction. So if you don't eat gluten, you don't
0: have a reaction.
1: Yes. Right. So eat barley, rye, and then anything that's contaminated in the field. So like oats are gluten-free, but they're usually contaminated.
0: Now, is it always true? And I, you may be getting to this. Do you, um, does every, not everybody has the same reaction, right? And is it possible that some people don't have, uh, like for you, for example, you get really tired, right? Yes. yes. And um, Eliana is, is, you know, throwing up and has have has though the, have those she has those issues, but for other people it may not be as extreme. Is it possible that it can be ignored? Like if you get a little piece of of gluten, it it's not as as bad.
1: So no, the okay. the symptoms are different from the damage. So when I was right, 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 I I did not have um obvious symptoms. I thought in hindsight, there was the fatigue, um, but I was parenting small children. And so I thought it was just due to parenting small children. And then once I got diagnosed and treated, I had more energy and my energy level is fabulous now. So I, so I, I know there was that and my vitamin levels were decreased. So there were those signs, um, you know, pointing to that being the cause, but, um, but there are people who are, like me, I thought I was asymptomatic. It wasn't obvious, but there are people who actually are asymptomatic who don't have any symptoms or they have symptoms they can live with. So like you think about the person who's lactose intolerant and they decide they want to eat ice cream and pizza and their stomach hurts. And then they just kind of go on their way. The problem with celiac disease is you really can't cheat. So Mm -hmm. the, the treatment, the only treatment right now, and they're working on other treatments, but the only existing treatment is a strict lifelong gluten-free diet. No and,
0: and why? So that's the part that I think um, is not as clear. And I know you've mentioned through your journey that you've encountered people who are like, "Oh, yeah, I think I have that too," but I cheat every once in a while. And you're like, "No, you can't," because the damage. It's not like again, like if you're lactose intolerant in in you just, your stomach is upset, then you're over it maybe the next day. The damage that is done through even just the very littlest of, of, of uh, gluten is what?
1: It, well, it's so as small. So there's the experts say that we can, we can't have more than 20 parts per million. If you had a million breadcrumbs, <laughs> like we couldn't have 20. So wow. it's a tiny, it's such a tiny little bit of, gluten that we can tolerate. And so if you're having a bite or a slice of pizza or any amount of gluten, your body is building an autoimmune response. And even if you aren't feeling symptoms, your GI system will show that your intestines are being damaged. You're not able to absorb nutrients. It's the same thing as if you were starving. If you did not have access to good nutrition. Um, good food. You were living in a developing nation and very, very poor. The life expectancy would be low. The health outcomes would be bad because you're not getting any nutrition. And that's
0: really horrifying. Um, One bite, it sends your autoimmune uh, response, body responding and causing damage to your intestine and to, to other parts.
1: Yes and I will clarify that everybody's body is different so what the exact amount is we don't know for each person but we're talking the difference between 10 parts per million and 40 parts per million. Yeah. We're not talking about even a bite. <laughs> like so so yeah so there should be no cheating on the gluten-free diet if you have celiac disease. If you have gluten intolerance that's a whole different animal, maybe many different animals. But um but for celiac disease we we cannot cheat because the damage is is inside, even if we feel fine, even
0: if you can't see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so after you going back to your own, your own discovery of it, after, uh, you found out, uh, that your daughter had it, you pulled her off, then it was about, okay, where, like, where did this potentially come from? Right. Cause it's genetic.
1: Yes. So the, the expert advice is that if you have a first degree relative with celiac disease, so a sibling, a parent, a child, um, that all of the first degree relatives should get tested. Okay. And so we, we did, although I must say I dragged my feet on me because I was fine. <laughs> I don't have celiac disease. <laughs> and my husband has all these like sensitive GI systems. And yeah. so I tested, you know, he tested and then I tested my son right away, of course. And, um, and then they were both negative. And so I'm like, oh, I better, you know, test myself. And they called me back and they're like, oh, it looks like you have a touch of celiac disease, which a touch, was- of it. <laughs> a touch of it. I, by then I, you know, I, I knew enough to know that nobody has a touch of celiac disease yeah. And and I had it. And my husband, when I told him, he's like, it was you, <laughs> <laughs> neither of us could believe it. And they scoped me and my intestines were worse than my daughter's. So I had all kinds of damage, did not know. Um, And even after that, you know, I immediately went off gluten after I did my endoscopy. I, I never cheated, but there were times where she would accidentally get gluten and we had eaten the same food. And so I assumed that I had, and the only symptom I would have was a couple weeks later, because it my damn, you know, the damage was there. And so it'd be a couple of weeks of not absorbing vitamins. A couple weeks later, I would notice that I was tired. Really? And so it would take I'm a like, couple yeah, weeks
0: for it to couple weeks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that was the only symptom I had. And I also noticed about a week or two later that she would be much more emotional. And, and so it had these not obvious symptoms, but okay. they were there. And she had that in addition to the, you know, the vomiting. And so, yeah, but now it's changed. So now that I've been off of gluten for nearly eight years, I now have a violent reaction Do if you. I am accidentally cross-contaminated. Yeah.
0: Even, even just, just the slightest. So explain that to me a little bit more. Why is it that early on when there was so much damage, it would take a while for it to, for you to feel the, the, uh, for you to feel it, uh, I I think was your body just used to it. And so
1: I, well, I I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of that, like you get used to feeling crummy, but I, I I don't, I don't know why it changes, but I hear this anecdotally from other people that some people don't react at all. And then after being off for a long time, then their symptoms are much more severe. So it's not uncommon. I don't know the biology behind that. Um, but my, I thinking regarding why it wasn't instantaneous before with the fatigue is just because the fatigue was a result of low vitamins. And that uh, vitamin level didn't take place immediately. That would be okay. after a week or two of not absorbing vitamin B, you know, B12, then I would start to feel fatigued. That's that's so, my non-medical theory.
0: <laughs> so for you now, it's not even so much the fatigue, it's a violent digestive response. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, it's awful.
1: I don't recommend it.
0: Um, <laughs> so, um so what is it, that been like? I mean, you're you're uh you're pretty strong. You're a trooper. You kind of tackle things head on, but I mean, you know, gluten has some really really nice stuff. One of those for you, I think was a, was a particular drink at Starbucks, right? That You couldn't get any yeah. more kind of the, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are, I know it's, it's first world problems, but you know, these are, this um, is how we, how we live, right?
1: Yeah. And you know what, all around the world in every country, there's an emotional attachment to food. And mm. so food is, part of how we connect to people. Mm-hmm. It's part of how we celebrate. It's part right. of how more. It's part of, you know, everyday experiences. It just, there's so much attached to food. That's really hard to describe. So having mm-hmm. to change your diet so significantly is huge. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I will say for me, it wasn't as big a shift because when my daughter was diagnosed, we took the whole house gluten-free. She was little, I was concerned about cross-contamination and being able to keep her safe. And can you,
0: can you explain that a little bit further? Again, I, people may not understand like what that means when we're talking about going gluten-free, it's not just not buying stuff with gluten in it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it goes even beyond that to what types of uh, plates or, or things that you can use to cook with or Um, any type of, you're avoiding any type of cross-contamination whatsoever.
1: So what that looked like was a complete clean out of my house. And you think about the way you bake, you might take a cup of flour and then take that same cup and dip it in the sugar to take a cup of sugar. We've all done that. Well, now sugar's cross-contaminated with flour and that's happening all over the kitchen. And so thinking about if you take mayonnaise and you stick your knife in the mayonnaise and rub it on the bread. And then you stick that, you know, knife back in the mayonnaise. You're transferring the bread to the mayonnaise, um, sharing a toaster. You take your, um, your pasta and you dump it into the colander and some bits and pieces can get stuck between the cracks that might be there. And they're no big deal unless you have celiac disease and they're gluten. Um, wooden spoons, cutting boards, things that are porous that can absorb the gluten in the liquid and be there next time you're cooking or cutting, those things are all contaminated. So I I replace them. Um things that are fine are dishes, like many people choose because of, you know, like if I were the only one with celiac disease, I probably wouldn't have taken my house gluten-free, but I was dealing with a three-year-old and had a five-year-old and just didn't feel like I could keep her safe. But if it were me, I might've been like, oh, I can do it. Gluten-free food's more expensive. And so economically, if you have a big family, it's not always possible to take everybody gluten-free. So- Um and, and they do that and they share pans. They just have dedicated cutting boards and
0: dedicated so specific things that might be might absorb the gluten. Other things may not.
1: Yes. Yeah. Okay. So as long as, so like a, a pan that you wouldn't use a cast iron pan, that's porous. Okay. Um, so if you have, if you need to use a cast iron pan, then you'd have a gluten one and a gluten free one if you're in a shared household. Wow. So I, I t- had to take all my stuff since we weren't doing shared and, and got rid of anything that could be either contained gluten or was cross contaminated or could be used to cross contaminate my food, like utensils. And I donated it, gave it away and had to start from scratch. But then once you do that, like that initial phase is like drinking out of a fire hose. Cause you're like, I don't know what has gluten in it. And you're reading labels and the kids are crying in the grocery aisle and you're looking up stuff on your phone and people are staring at you because you must be a terrible parent. Like it's just it's chaos. And yeah. And then, and then it's not, then it's easy. So it just, it's really a really steep learning curve. And then it gets so much better really fast. And so once I took my house gluten-free, that part became easy. Everything in my house is gluten-free. And uh, over the years, I've gotten very adept at, making anything we want gluten free i i found this flour in italy because the pizzas there are so so good the gluten free pizzas are so so good really yes and the and they they use this flour it's called caputo gluten free flour and it's made with wheat starch and so that right away like alarm bells go off for a celiac good. it's made yeah. with wheat starch but the gluten is removed and it's, if it's done and done and tested properly, it is considered safe for celiacs, but not for people with a wheat allergy. Oh, really? And okay. Yeah. Because it still has wheat in it, oh, but the, okay. the people with celiac disease are reacting to the protein in wheat, barley, and rye. and Which the, is gluten. Which is gluten. So if you remove the gluten protein, which is what happens with wheat starch and the starch is what's left. And so you so don't react to that.
0: So that I, over the last few years, well, several years, I've always had digestive issues, right? And I've wondered whether or not I've had celiac. I, I did have an endoscopy years ago. They looked at the biopsy. They said it didn't reflect anything. Um, but I have been off gluten over the last three years. And I, I, I it seems to make a difference as far as um, not necessarily that I feel better, but when I'm on gluten, I have reactions. But Maybe, but maybe I've been off gluten, but not necessarily off wheat or no, wait. Off. If you're off gluten, you're off wheat. Okay. But there is something that's, wait, so now I don't understand. So okay. you've got the wheat starch that doesn't have gluten, not, yeah. okay. but if you have a wheat allergy, uh-huh. Yeah, I don't understand.
1: Okay. So wheat starch is such a rare thing. Char okay. makes a few products with wheat starch in the United States. There aren't too many things made with wheat starch. It's very common in Italy. So okay. you're probably not eating wheat starch. Okay. So technically you could be eating wheat starch and if your problem is wheat and not gluten, then the wheat starch would bother you. So that'd be a fabulous way to find out or not so fabulous. To eat
0: something. Um, <laughs> with, so see, basically see how I feel if I eat something with, so it, I guess the question is, it is possible to have an item that is gluten free, but not wheat free. That's correct.
1: That's correct. So, oh. so one of the, like there's a pizza on the market. I think it's DiGiorno's Pizza. Okay. Mm-hmm think DiGiorno and it is made with wheat starch and so it'll say wheat on it it contains wheat wheat is a de- it has to be a declared allergen is right. not so in the united states the gluten free claim is voluntary wheat is not voluntary it has to be there right. so it'll say gluten on the front and then when you read the ingredients it'll say contains wheat which is confusing right. but it's that it's that wheat starch so So
0: i typically look at the look at the item and if it says contains wheat then i don't even if it doesn't say gluten-free, I don't, I don't. And that's
1: a pretty safe bet with most products in the United States. So why I mean, is that I necessary? That aren't. <laughs> so huh? I think I just named the two that aren't, the DiGiorno pizza okay. and the Char breads. <laughs> but
0: why? That may be a whole separate question. Well, it is a whole separate question. Why is it that they have to declare wheat on there, but not gluten?
1: Oh, I could get on a soapbox for a while. It's (laughs) FDA labeling law. And there are people that are-
0: They don't um, care about
1: Congress. Well, they're petitioning Congress to try to get that changed. So there are allergens that are labeled Gluten is not an allergy, it's autoimmune. And so it's in a different category. So they created a whole set of rules for gluten, but it leaves people with celiac disease in this rare spot where we can get gluten by accident. We have to check things so much more carefully. It's very difficult because unless something has a gluten-free label on it, which is voluntary, We don't know if it's gluten-free because there are ways to hide things like barley and rye. So something could say natural ingredients and it contains rye and they don't have to disclose it. So anytime I see natural ingredients, I have to put it back on the shelf unless it has a gluten-free claim
0: on the label. Um, So the category natural ingredients can include things like rye and barley. It doesn't have to disclose that
1: doesn't have to disclose it because those are not one of the top eight allergens. So and I think they're adding a ninth allergen. I don't know if it's sesame. A ninth allergen is going to be added in January, but it's not gluten yet. So we're wow. we're still working on that. It really okay. needs to be added. In Europe, it is disclosed. They'll disclose, okay. they call it cereals. So anything that contains cereals, which would include wheat, barley, rye, oats, any grains, so that's disclosed. So we're not left in this like no man's land. Yeah. Um, but to go back to, to your question about you. Yeah. So- It's very rare to have something that's, um, that's gluten-free that contains wheat in the United States. It is rare. Um, but if you see it, then you know, it has wheat in it. Um, and you might want to avoid it. But the other thing is you might just be reacting to wheat. If it's not the gluten protein that's bothering you, it could just be wheat and you might be fine with barley and rye.
0: So what, what would be the advantage? I mean, other than, other than being able to eat barley and rye, like that's it. Like, I mean, I don't drink, I don't drink beer, so I don't need, right? Like
1: barley soup. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, wheat is is the biggie. Uh, Yeah. But you would just look for that contains wheat statement. I mean, that would be the advantage is the label reading would sure get a lot easier.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember, you know, and things have changed. What has it been? Eight years since you've had it. Things have changed. It's, and I, I know that you mentioned this even back way back then when you were uh, uh, having to make this huge change that today it's a lot easier to go off gluten than it was 10 20 30 years ago a lot of more things are being labeled more things are being marketed i know that and that's one of the things i want you to touch on is that some there are so many fads today and mm-hmm. eating fads health uh, uh, health fads lifestyle fads It would be easy to dismiss this as, and I joked around about it earlier, you know, a first world problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what do you, because there are some who will say, ah, our ancestors ate wheat and gluten for whatever X amount of years that you want to put in there, and they didn't have a problem. Um, How do you address that? Is this, um, based upon what you've read and done research, is this something that's been around for a while? Is this something that has only been recently either discovered or it's been recently uh, it's come out as a result of our wheat consumption.
1: Um. So in my research, um, it's it's been around, okay. and they but they discovered the gluten connection during one of the wars. I think it was World War One. Okay. It was kids that were. I think it was in Ireland. I'm going to mess up the story, but um, I think it was kids in Ireland that were in the hospital for malnutrition. And they, there were bread shortages and bread rationing. And so they would improve when they wouldn't get bread and then they would get bread and they would get worse. And so that's when they realized what was going on. So it's, you know, it's been in the last hundred years that they've that they figured out this connection. And, and that's where I think it's really a blessing with the celiac disease. If you're going to have an autoimmune disease to have one that they know, and this is how they stumbled across the cause and, and have been able to, to figure out how to, how to treat it. So, okay. um, so the understanding of it has grown. Mm. And certainly in the last Twenty years or so. There's been a whole bunch of research. If you look at the NIH website, you can see all the studies that are being done. There's funding behind the research. There are charities raising funds. There are celiac organizations at different universities that are that are now funding research. And so, they're understanding more and more. Um, but there's a long way to go. And and a big part of that is getting towards a treatment that's not just the gluten-free diet because right. of the complications of the cross contamination and how difficult it is. And some of the extra burdens of managing the disease, the, um, the celiac disease foundation did a study one time and they asked celiac patients, you know, about the burden of the disease and their responses were that it, like compared to those dealing with end stage kidney cancer, mm-hmm. um, kidney disease, that it was as severe as. As dealing with end stage kidney disease. Like that's the, the burden and toll on celiac patients. Mm. That's pretty significant. And yeah. I know it sounds like, oh, it's just food, but it's constant. You eat every day multiple right. times right. and you have to think about food. And again, those social components that I mentioned, those things, it's, it's a heavy burden. Um, right. and some people are doing it in isolation. And so there's, there's just an, a an emotional side and a mental health side that's
0: significant. So, and the cost of, of now having been, been doing it the last three years, it is the, the gluten-free foods are more expensive still. I mean, there's some that it's getting better, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a costlier uh, uh, thing. Now you can manage by, you know, maybe making your own stuff and, but they're like, if you want to substitute anything Mm -hmm. and you probably have some life hacks for that, but um it's still it's not something that is that is easily it's easier it's not still not the easiest to to access and it, and as you said like being aware of even if you have to eat out fast food or restaurant op- options and i know you've you've been doing that for a while um and and are sharing that even on your website um but there is that, yeah, that constant thinking about what it is that you're going to need to do, how you're going to need to adjust, where you can go, where it's safe to go. I mean, you've taken your family really all over and done everything, Disney cruises and all of, all Europe and all that, and have, but have had to do a ton of research to prepare for it.
1: Yes. I will say you don't have to do any research for Disney cruise. They take really good care of you okay. <laughs> on the Disney cruise ship. So, um, but just about anything else, it's a lot of work. We're getting ready for um, a trip to Europe in, in a week. And I, you know, I'm looking at all the places, every place we're going to go, I have to find the restaurants and when are they open, you know? It's, and so um, figuring out all those details, it's just a ter- It is a tremendous amount of work, but I, I, you know, I decided when my daughter was diagnosed and it flowed through to my life. But, you know, looking at this three-year-old girl, like I wasn't going to let her miss out on anything. And so just like any challenge you have, it makes you stronger. There are advantages that come along with the the disadvantages. And she's certainly a fabulous self-advocate and has developed all these skills through this challenge, right. but I didn't want her to ever think that she couldn't. And yeah. so one of the games we played early on was we would talk about, you know, when you're three, you play silly little card games and, and we would play the game of naming all the things she could eat. And we would just take turns. <laughs> I would name a food and she would name a food. Instead of thinking about all the things you can, not yeah. think about what you can eat. And so yeah. Um, and so that's just been my attitude. We can do everything. So mm. if they're having, if people are having a party, we can be there. We might have to bring our own food. They might right. be able to make something for us. It just, you know, it's different every time, but we're going to be there and we're not going to miss out. And, yeah. um, and the same thing with traveling, traveling is important to our family. And so mm. we're going to do it. And that's really a big part of like how my blog has really transformed recently in terms of helping other people cuz now I'm 8 years down the road a lot of this is even though it's work it's really mindless i know what to do and you know if if she comes home and she's like oh mom we're having this event and i need this and this and this and this i know off the top of my head 20 things i can do to make it work and so mm-hmm. all of that is just experience and the people that helped me 8 years ago and And so I realized I've got all this stuff in my brain and I want to dump it out of my brain and get it out there to help other people so that they can travel and they can send their kids to a gingerbread house decorating party and their child can do a sleepover and they can go to thanksgiving and and enjoy it and
0: and when you say research like i don't think people realize you have done research like you should have gotten a whole <laughs> other degree in this because i mean you it thoroughly extensively and are almost, you know, you don't, you're not an MD, but like an encyclopedia not an of, MD. <laughs> of silly, but in, in covering such a wide range of, of everything from, again, places that you can go to the effects of it, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so it's so cool, your website and your blog, what you're doing with that, because that is absolutely something that is going to help so many people I mean you had to do the research and lay all this found work but it's going to be such a a blessing to others
1: yeah and it, you know it it's exciting to me when I can see the numbers and the people are like oh people are reading this recipe or they're reading this article and they're planning their trips to Greece or Italy or whatever and, and I know how much I rely on those resources mm-hmm. and so it's exciting to be able to share that you know where before it would just be talking to somebody, sharing information. Oh, I found this, or I found that, or I had this idea, or this worked and and sharing it one-on-one, but to be able to share it, this like multiply the stuff I've learned in terms of making a difference because it it is legit a challenge, mm-hmm. you know? And I will I jump on social media and I see how people are struggling and, you well, know-
0: And you mentioned, you know, one of the things, one of the, the concerns uh, or that you've discovered is that- Some people with celiac struggle with even eating disorders because of that. Is that, is Mm -hmm. that right?
1: Yeah. So there's a higher correlation with eating disorders because the disease requires that you be vigilant, almost Mm. obsessive about your food. And so, I mean, it's important to balance not being crazy and not being obsessive and still being vigilant and safe and careful. And it's just such a fine line. And so it's very easy to cross over. And then you have folks who, who cheat. We talked about that um because they they want to feel normal or yeah. they miss a food or all their friends are eating pizza and you know it's especially yeah. difficult for young people and there are people with food insecurity you yeah. mentioned how the food is more expensive some of the products are twice as expensive to get you know gluten free bread you're spending twice as much and the loaf is half the size yes. and you know it's and it might have holes in it yes <laughs> you've seen that yeah yes. and so it's it's expensive and yeah. so I'll, you know, I'll see on social media, people posting, you know, we're at the end of the month and all I have in my pantry is the gluten food that I have for the kids. And it's like, I either eat that or I don't eat. And Mm. so people are dealing with that. And then the, you know, the social pieces are big. My, you know, I've worked very hard for my daughter to be able to do everything, Um, and for me as an adult, it's very easy. Like I went to a comedy club with friends and they couldn't feed me, but you had to buy stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'll buy two sparkling waters and I'll eat my (laughs) wine bar and, you know, and just I'm like, whatever, I don't care. I'm an adult. And my friends didn't care. And we were all perfectly happy. But for a teenager, for example, that's much more difficult to be like, oh, I'm going to sit here with my granola bar and everyone else is eating pizza or burgers. And, um, So, you know, so there's that challenge, but you know, my daughter last year, she was invited to a birthday party and then she was uninvited and the, the friend said, well, you can't come because I'm not going to have any food for you. And I know you can bring your own, but I'll just feel bad if you can't eat what I have.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And obviously it's a, you know, it's a 10 year old girl who, you know, is, learn you know they're all learning but it was devastating to yeah. her she yeah, just wants yeah. to be included in everything right. and and so to have that happen and I I know it's not the last time and probably not the first time I'm sure there are times we're not invited and we don't know <laughs> but if, <laughs> you know she was you know told that she wasn't invited so oh, there's so that sad. Sad. and and people talk about like going to family events and mm-hmm. and their mother or mother-in-law, but sometimes their mother will put a little gluten in their food. Cause they're like, Oh, it's just a little, it's fine. And then the, you know, the person's sick on a holiday. And so there are all these, you know, there's this anxiety from being yeah. from being gluten. Like if it makes you very sick, there's anxiety associated with that. So well, there are and, difficult things.
0: And I know you've got a, a great family that's supportive, uh, but I know of, I've got, you know, other friends who have other various um, not celiac, but other Um, allergies to various foods and they try to try to adapt and um, this is kind of what was my earlier question that I think there are some people who who do think that these things are fads and that this is just a preference and that and they're either not as supportive or just downright hey like like you said they'll put a little thing, a little gluten in the food or whatever, or put a little, whatever, dairy in, because they don't, they don't see how big of a deal it is. And especially and it, I almost feel bad comparing, you know, like a wheat allergy to, to celiac because they, those are two very different things. So an uh, allergy or lactose intolerant, again, it doesn't do um, lifelong damage just by that little bit that you... That you ingest, un- unless but you're an ex-
1: allergy, an allergy could kill you immediately. That's so, true. There's, you know, like a birth that's true. Day, you know, which disease is worse? I mean, there's certainly that's true. Every, if you have a peanut allergy, an allergy, and allergy and you ingest yeah. it and
0: your throat closes up, then you're, yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. So, it's right.
1: so it can be dangerous. And it's, you're right, it is a problem when people don't take it seriously. I think this is where finding a community is important. So, finding a local support group for celiac disease, finding an online support group reading blogs my blog there are hundreds of blogs about celiac disease but reading those things where where you can realize you're not alone because mm-hmm. a lot of people they're the only one in their family that's been diagnosed and there may be other people with celiac disease but if they're not getting tested they don't know and so they feel alone and and the, you know they're they're being isolated within their families or within their friend group, and so right. finding out that you're not alone is is really important. I mean, I even see my daughter come alive when she gets on. um, They do these these groups on Zoom with the I think it's the Celiac Association. And oh, it's cool! Kids, with all kids, middle yeah. school kids, and she gets on there, and she's just so excited, and the energy's <laughs> high, and because they're like, oh, my people, you know, mm-hmm. you know what it feels like, and so connecting with other people that understand, sharing ideas, helping each other, it. It makes a big difference. So you're not alone.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: You know, when when my daughter was diagnosed with celiac before I was, she prayed that I would have celiac. Disease. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. So a little. They have global. given it to you. I don't know. We don't know. My <laughs> son is We don't know. <laughs> but, uh, I tell her that's very powerful prayers. But that was that that same desire not mm-hmm. to be alone. And there's a part of me that's thankful that her prayer was answered, that she's not alone in her celiac and not feeling isolated. She's a gluten-free buddy.
0: So now for celiac, I think you mentioned this earlier, it is possible that it's something that they don't know. So it is and can be genetic, but it is also something that you can develop later? Or do you have the gene and then sometimes develop it later or... uh, Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So like I said, 60% of people have the gene and don't have celiac disease. So, um, it's, so the gene is very common. I think about 1% of the population actually has celiac disease. So you can see the discrepancy between who has the gene and and who actually has celiac disease. It's a very small number. So the gene doesn't mean you have celiac disease. Um, but, almost never do you have celiac disease without the gene. Occasionally I'll hear anecdotally again about a diagnosis and they think maybe that they haven't found another gene that's correlated, but that's very, very rare. So if you don't, it's, you can get the genetic testing to find out you don't have celiac disease. It's like a, A test that will exclude celiac disease, but
0: essentially that only means you're one of forty of the forty percent that don't have it, right? Because sixty percent of the population do. Yeah. Okay. So if you have, it's not helpful for
1: diagnosing, but it's helpful
0: for for ruling ruling it out. Okay. But if so, sixty percent of the population do have the gene, but only one percent then of that, you know, one percent of the population, which is you know, of that sixty percent that actually develop celiac? Do they know? And yeah. they, are they able to connect how that happens?
1: There's a lot of study. There are a lot of studies. Um, Some, they do think that there are triggers, sometimes illness, sometimes pregnancy, Um, um but it's really, it's really hard to, you know, like because you don't know right away. It's not like yeah. you get it triggered and then all of a sudden your reactions are so obvious. And so okay. if you're looking back, it's always retroactive. And so, but those are the kinds of things that they seem to think trigger it. Um, so
0: for you, would it have been pregnancy or you I think
1: fact, I mean, I was never tired before then. So okay. I, you know, and I did have some challenges with my second pregnancy. So okay. I, I kind of think it was, that one. Okay. Um, but I, I don't really know, because nobody was testing me before. Right. So, um, Yeah, I, I suspect my second pregnancy, but I have no idea.
0: So I guess, you know, of this, again, 60% of the population do, it, it's interesting that the, then the correlation, what causes that 1%. So obviously, people have pregnancies, people go through illnesses, people have other things, and they don't develop it. What mm-hmm. then is the thing that causes it? they just don't know?
1: I Don't know, and certainly there are lots of studies on that. They're looking at like how early you introduce gluten to your diet, okay. breastfeeding, you know, all, all kinds of things. Um, it's, vaccines, um, that was
0: so that's another thing. In and you know, others who might, you know, they might talk about bioengineer. uh, was it bioengineering, uh, uh, food, what do they call it? Um, um i I oh, don't like that
1: that the wheat has changed that, yeah. so too. the uh-huh.
0: the genetic engineering of 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 the various foods and and kind of the mass production of all of those things, and um that do they? I guess some people might question that as some well
1: do, but the scientists don't seem to okay. um the. And if you look at it, there's less of that in Europe than there is in the States. We're allowed to do a lot more to our food that they mm-hmm. don't allow in the European Union. And okay. celiac disease is quite rampant in Europe. Really? So um, yeah, in fact, it's interesting when I say 60%, I think that's over the the whole population, but in Asian population, African population, those numbers are lower. Um, parts okay. of India, the numbers are higher, interestingly, okay. Um, So it depends where you are on the continent, (laughs) your your chances of having um, disease does change by country and region, Um, but the rates are pretty high in Europe. And so when you look at European Americans, the, the numbers are, are higher than, than in other populations. So, um, and diagnosis is really high in um, in Italy, for example. So there's a lot of awareness around celiac disease and a lot of research that's taking place there. And so
0: the idea- you're, you're Italian, you're part Italian, right? So I, is there any connection there?
1: Well, we don't know because nobody else in my family has tested positive for that's celiac. True. So true. my parents were tested. My sister was tested. They were all negative. Okay. And so as long as they're negative, then you don't go to another yeah. Beyond that. Okay. Yeah. If one of them were positive, then their first degree relatives should be sure. tested.
0: That's so interesting. It, it's fascinating. And so at this point, you said that they are, um, I, I think they, I don't know, this was a few years ago when we talked about it, but they were developing even a pill that you could take that would help to, almost like a, a lactose pill, right? Did anything yeah. come of that?
1: <laughs> There's this joke in the celiac community It's not terribly funny, but it's they're always 10 years away from a cure. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. the research is, you know, I mean, they have stuff in various levels of of testing. And it's frankly challenging to recruit people to be yeah. tested because in many tight many cases you have to ingest gluten. And yeah. I know how it affects me. I right. in fact I signed up when I was asymptomatic. I signed up to um to be in a study, and then I became symptomatic, and so now I'm like, I don't think I can do the study.
0: No, and yeah. so
1: it's yeah, it's definitely a challenge. But they're working on things. The okay. the stuff they were working on when we talked before was a little better in that it actually would stop the reaction. Okay. Right now, the stuff that's gotten a little farther along in development is just stopping symptoms, and mm. so. It's not as good because you could still have intestinal damage, but frankly, for those of us that have bad symptoms, we'll, we'll take what we can get at this point. And, and I personally, am not interested in a medicine that would stop, uh, that would cure celiac disease. I'm fine eating gluten-free. I just want something that would prevent my body from damaging itself. If I accidentally ingest
0: it with cross contamination,
1: yeah, small amount through cross contamination. But I don't have to intentionally eat gluten. Oh, that was why I brought up that that flour that makes the wonderful pizza dough. I can make breadsticks (laughs) and I can make pizza that tastes just like gluten pizza and cinnamon rolls and. I know a bakery in San Francisco where I can get the best croissant and Disney nice. World makes gluten free churros. And so oh, they, do? You, they do? do. Disney Wait. World, not Disneyland. Oh <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you gotta go to Florida. Um yeah, that's always a disappointment. They have gluten free beignets in Disney World too. Oh. So but the point is there's you can make anything, you can have anything. So if anyone's listening with celiac disease, yeah. like there is a recipe for whatever you want. And you don't have to be deprived
0: for you what, what what do you think has been the biggest um i know this is hard to summarize but the biggest benefit to uh or the the most positive outcome as a result of of having uh-huh.
1: this oh it's hard to say the most um you know the one of yeah there i mean I guess I'm going to say two. Sure. One is better overall health, right? We caught Mm. something that was going to kill us eventually and we stopped it and we have Mm. this fix for it. And so we have really good health. My daughter has a very mature palate. Like our diets are, are varied and interesting. And, um, and so I'm, I'm thankful for that, but also it, it creates this open door for kindness. Mm. Like, opportunity for us to help other people yeah. and other people to help us and I remember when when we were first diagnosed that first Christmas so it would have just been my my daughter my neighbor came over with a basket uh full of like like gluten-free flour and yeah. cookie cutters. And remember I had cleaned out my kitchen Well, the cookie yeah. cutters had little like pieces of, you know, yeah. kind of stuck in the cracks. Right. And so those were donated. And so yeah. I had these new cookie cutters and a magazine with gluten-free recipes and just little thoughtful things like that. Or when she goes somewhere and someone ordered a gluten-free pizza from, for her, from the one place that makes safe gluten-free pizzas wow. or after soccer, when everybody gets a Rice Krispie treat, which contains malt. So that's got gluten in it.
0: Rice Krispie treats are not okay.
1: Rice Krispie treats are not okay. No, they're not. No. And Rice Krispies are not for the same reason they contain malt. Um, you can get off brands though that don't. And, um, and then, so anyway, everyone's getting their Rice Krispie treats and another mom had brought her the Rice Krispie treat from Starbucks, which is gluten free. Oh, wow. And so she had, and I know that's like a few bucks, right? Yeah. Compared to the cheap ones for Walmart. Yeah. And so I know
0: exactly what you're talking about. And those yeah. things are good. And they're much more expensive. Yeah,
1: <laughs> they're bigger and they're good. So but yeah. like those kinds of things that just say I care yeah. about you, I'm going the extra mile and it creates an opportunity for people to do that and mm. I don't expect it. Like we prepare, we self advocate, we take care of ourselves. Like that's another benefit, right? We yeah. we learn how to take care of ourselves. She's very self sufficient. And so it's our job to feed ourselves, but when somebody goes out of their way to make sure we have safe food, like I want to cry. It's really mm. touching. And so it's that opportunity to receive kindness yeah. that I think is is the best part of of this like the hidden yeah.
0: showing humanity uh, their our care for one another. So for somebody who thinks they might have either a, a weed allergy um, or celiac, what what would you say they're listening and you say, all right here here are some here are some good steps to take.
1: Sure. So I want to distinguish the wheat allergy. You would go see an allergist and they can do tests for that. Um, there's also the elimination diet, which people do for lots of food intolerances. Mm -hmm. And that would apply if you're, if you have a wheat sensitivity, you could do that. But I want to rewind and go back to what we said earlier, that you can't go off gluten until you're tested for celiac disease. So, um, even though, The chances of it being celiac disease are very slim. If it's only 1% of the population, you still want to rule that out before you remove gluten from your diet. So the first step is call your doctor and ask for a, a blood test. So they'll do a celiac panel. They'll test your blood and see if you have antibodies to gluten. It's very simple. You don't even have to fast for it because if you have them, you're going to have them, whether or not you're eating, um, go off gluten, do the blood test. And then, and then from there, if it's positive, you would follow up with a gastroenterologist and probably do the scope, um, the endoscopy. Um, and then if it's negative, then you have to, look at the intolerances and that's really out of my area of expertise. Sure. And then, and I
0: think you, the, the um, elimination diet is, is a good um, is a, is a good idea. Great idea actually. And I did that. I think that was kind of one of the things that precipitated then me going off it um, that I was doing that. And I think I was off maybe eggs, gluten and something else. And for, 21 days and I added uh, the gluten back in and had a really violent almost you know like food poisoning reaction. Uh, I and so that's that can be very helpful to to test and there's a bunch of stuff on websites that talk about various allergies and I think like you said the eight or nine allergies that they are and they they kind of walk you through how how to do that um I for and I I remember in conversations with you that there was something about so for me, as an example, they did an endoscopy for me um to help kind of rule out some of these various issues. I don't know that they ever did like a blood uh what is it a blood panel or a blood, blood. test yeah. Blood yeah. test so same is it the same thing? Well, as same. far as blood panel or a blood test oh, okay. same thing. yeah. So... so what is the value do you? Do you essentially need both um, in order to, to rule that out? And obviously, doctors who are uh, uh, trying to identify that would do the blood test and then the endoscopy. I don't remember why we did that one first and not a blood test. But what is it that both are, are both needed to show what's going on?
1: No, you could be diagnosed with just an endoscopy. Okay. So the question would be to call your GI and say, did you take biopsies? And you think right. you took enough to, you know, to see if- At Various
0: parts biopsies. of your, of yeah. your intestine, right? Yes. Not just one area.
1: Yeah. Cause if you lay out the small intestine, it's as big as a football field, like between wow. all the folds and everything. So, Each person's? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because of all, the, you're talking about all those little villi and everything. So if you lay it out, it's huge. A football and so, field? Yes. it's so
0: gross.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking tiny little pieces. So, So it's, yeah, they need to, they need to check different parts of it. And so they'll take multiple samples, but a good GI is going to, you know, is going to know that and do that. And so I, you know, you could certainly discuss it with your doctor to see if it makes sense to do a blood test, but you'd have to go back on gluten. Um, But, but the, the, the tell of celiac disease is the intestinal damage. So if you don't have the intestinal damage, well, that's celiac disease. <laughs> okay. So you know you have to have the intestinal damage to have celiac disease. Yeah. Um, so that I, yeah, I I would think you just went right. You cut to the chase and right. did the, okay. the biopsy. Okay. No.
0: Any any kind of final and again your website goglutenfreely.com dot and really you said anything with that that handle you're pretty much on yeah. everything goglutenfreely.com dot um, Any final thoughts? I guess for people um, either. Uh, and maybe not even just this, but kind of other uh, similar issues, whether it's uh, dietary restrictions or other other things in this category. Final thoughts or tips or or reflections?
1: Um, well, just thinking about food, you know, I, I touched on this earlier. That food is it is part of how we celebrate. It is part of how we connect with people. You think about gatherings through every cult, you know, every culture celebrates with food. And, and so it's important. And I would just not let this thing, whatever it is, whether it's celiac or an intolerance, let it keep you from living, let it keep you from being part of the celebration. And so Mm -hmm. maybe it can't be about the food and you have to Mm -hmm. modify it. But you still can be a part of the celebration and the community and the connectedness, and to just not let that inhibit you from from fully living.
0: Yeah, that's so good and so true um, that food is not just for our survival. You think about the uh, you know, the Israelites and even Jesus at the Last Supper. like it was they were hanging out. It was during food, and every festival had food that was involved. And so there's something that is communal about it. And, um, I, I, think that's a powerful thought. And so not allowing these things to really inhibit our lives. Um, uh, but not, and, and in your case, not just, not just learning how to manage, but really still thriving. And then now turning it as a resource to others. It's just so, so very cool. Well, thank you, Heather, for being on. I appreciate it. Thanks for
1: having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: And so you can check out her uh, website, goglutenfreely.com, where she's got a ton of really, really cool stuff. And I know is adding a a bunch all the time uh, to the to the website. Um, And so, uh, again, a really great resource. If you uh, know somebody, if you have celiac, somebody that you're aware of that has celiac, you know, recommend that to them Uh, but again the broader picture of of these these challenges that we are going to face in life how we manage them how we find ways to either deal with them overcome them move through them and and what we do then as a result of them well this has been episode 22 of the nefesh podcast thanks for joining us and we will talk to you next time